Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Top of mind for those in housing these days are mortgage rates and the threat of a recession. We cover both of those topics and more on today's Housing Wire Daily episode. My guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's jump in. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Always great to have you, and especially in this ever-shifting market. So we have a lot to talk about, but the first thing I wanted to bring up was mortgage rates. So they had jumped so quickly and so fast, and now they seem to be a little bit finding a level. Tell me a little bit about what you think rates are going to do. So mortgage rate pricing got a lot worse than what the 10-year yield uh, uh, has been uh, showing. So there's kind of a just a, a point where the market is catching up to kind of the reality of where the 10-year yield is. So I think there's just a pause, but recently bond yields have been uh, rising the last few days. I think one thing important about today is, you know, when we talk about mortgage rates and bond yields and everything, the Federal Reserve, their shift uh, to be more aggressive was uh, based on the employment cost index being uh, getting hotter. And uh, today the employment cost index had a very, very strong print. Uh, so when that happened, the two-year yield uh, started to rise more. So there's there's firmness in what the market has priced with how many Fed rate hikes or where, where bond yields are at. The next stage is, does the Fed come through with it um, <clears throat> with all the rate hikes that are already priced in? And I think that's the difference between now than, let's say, 2018. The 10-year yield is not even uh, at where we were in, in at the peak of 2018, but mortgage rates are or higher, but the Fed funds rate is behind uh, a lot uh, because the market got way ahead of it. So that kind of speed and velocity in pricing and, and, and yield movement was very fast. I mean, historically fast. So there, there, there's going to have to be a, another stage of this uh, if you want <clears throat> rates to go higher or the bond yield to go higher. And if you're in that camp, uh, that means you're probably very pro-U.S. growth, very world growth, uh, inflation picking up to take this to another stage. And as of right now, everything's kind of just hanging right here. And we're going to see, you know, does the economic data hold firm uh, or does the U.S. economic data slow down? Some of the data lines we are seeing are slowing down a bit. Uh, and if that happens, does the Fed even come close to hiking rates as much as they have uh, priced in. I think that's going to be the real story for the rest of the year because a lot of pricing has already been put into the marketplace. And now can the world economies and the U.S. economy both together uh, stay firm when we know Europe is slowing down? We know Russia is in a recession. We know China is having a growth scare. So that'll be the real big tug of war going out for the rest of the year. So if I'm an LO out here wondering uh, what are rates going to do in the next couple months, uh, what's your advice? Well, the economic data is slowing. So it's, uh, you know, the Russian invasion and the China uh, lockdowns put a very interesting variable into this. Uh, They might keep inflation a little bit higher than normal, uh, but we're starting to see uh, supply chains ease up. 
you know, Amazon talked about, you know, we, we might have too many people working for us based on demand. Demand's normalizing. I think that's that's part of the recession red flag model that we talk about here on Housing Wire. The durable goods purchasing was beyond anything that we've seen in recent modern day history. That cannot sustain itself usually. So there's going to be some uh, uh, easing of supply and, and some of the inflationary data fades. So you would need to really have to have a next leg higher. I would say if you're kind of in the 6% plus camp, you need economic growth to stay really strong and you need to see demand inflation stay strong and none of the supply uh, issues easing up. So um, I, I, I think we're here at pause and we're just going to have to take the data once a week to see what's going on, not just with the U.S. economy, but the world economies. And we do see the world economy slowing down, especially in Europe, uh, Russia and China, uh, even Japan, which is so heavily weighted on tourism, uh, it's quite not there yet. So it, it, that, I, I think that's why you saw a pause after an unbelievable move higher. And I think what a lot of people are, are looking back at is two months ago when the jobs reports came out, uh, bond yields went down because of the headline uh, of, of the Russian invasion. So right now, Bond yields made a really sharp move up higher. Mortgage rates made a really sharp move higher in the last two months. We have to, we need more hotter economic data uh, to get another leg up higher. So kind of a pause around here to see what's next. And this is why tracking economic data, especially some of the forward-looking economic data matters. Lots of variables there, and we will definitely be keeping an eye on it. Um, well, you you teed it up perfectly. I want to jump into your recession red flags. Where are we with those? How many are left? What are you seeing? Well, the, the first three are already uh, raised. You know, uh, for me, it's a certain unemployment rate with a two year yield. The Fed starts its rate uh, Fed rate hike. Uh, the inverted yield curve. Uh, you know, those things are more of a progression of the economic expansion going from an early stage to a more mature stage of the cycle. So those are already raised. The sixth recession red flag, the durable goods, the retail spending. You know, I highlighted this uh, uh, last week that, listen, if it, demand can't sustain itself at a certain level, that's the overinvestment. And I, and I use the Peloton as a great example for the durable goods purchasing in the United States of America. So much demand up front. Uh, uh, then people started to produce more bikes and then demand fell off a clip. And guess what? You have too much inventory. You have to lay people off. So that's the kind of area I'm looking for this expansion because the one area that we saw a boom was retail sales, was durable goods. So if people are ramping up uh, uh, to keep capacity of that going and that demand normalizes, then there's too much supply or, or too many people or too much uh, production because demand can't sustain itself. That's what we saw during the housing bubble years. Uh, obviously, we had no recession without COVID, so we don't have the re previous expansion to really work off of. So that's 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 now in play. There's enough evidence out there that you know things are slowing down some of the trucking data. So uh, we can we can look at the sixth recession red flag as, as starting to rise up. But the last two are the are really the big ones. Usually housing fades, housing starts, new home sales fade going into a recession. And the leading economic index itself, it's a set of 10 data lines. Uh, uh, they always typically fall four to six months going into recession. So far, those two things haven't happened. But of course, higher rates can impact housing permits, new home sales, of course. And then there's other economic data, manufacturing data starting to fade just a little bit. So there are things to look at uh, forward looking for the last two recession red flags. But as of now, still, I don't like to use the R word until all six are up, unless we have an exogenistic shock. <clears throat> 
You could say the Russian uh, invasion is something like that. It's creating a commodities war. So we'll adjust to that new variable. But so far, moving along slowly, we're, the, we're good to go. I know the GDP was negative, but anybody read the internals of the data. Business investment was strong. Consumption was strong. It's the inventory issue uh, in trade. So those things kind of work itself out. So we're not quite at recession watch yet, but again, we're, we've definitely progressed from early expansion to a more mature expansion to kind of toward the end where we have the possibility of all six recession red flags up. So, you know, one of your recession red flags is housing fading as we go into a recession. But do you think that's going to happen in this market? I mean, this is such an unusual set of circumstances as far as low inventory. Like, how do you measure that this time? Here's here's the thing. When we talk about housing fading, we're talking about the new home sales sector and the housing start sector. Uh, uh, not so much of existing home sales and prices uh, in that, of course, what we're seeing is a very savagely unhealthy housing market because inventory is still too low and prices are, are way too hot. But when we talk about the economics of housing, it's really new home sales and housing starts because those are construction jobs. Those are big ticket items. Those are the things that matter to GDP and jobs. The existing home sales market is a transfer of commissions, really. Uh, so, uh, you know, people that are getting laid off uh, in the mortgage industry, of course, that's a factor of higher rates because the refinance demand is so much. That in itself is an overinvestment. Demand has collapsed in there. Uh, that's not big enough to to warrant any kind of major housing discussion. It's it's really funny. There's a lot of people on Twitter that say, oh, Wells Fargo has laid off people. The same thing happened in 2008. That's not how you look at housing economics at all whatsoever. Because <laughs> that, these are completely different these things. These are completely here. different things, you know, and I kind of mocked them. I said, if you're, if you're trying to say the 2008 housing crash because Wells Fargo is laying people off because refinance demand is not there, that's not how you do it, okay? And, and stop using 2008. It was 2005, right? You're using the wrong year. Um, so the, when, when I talk about housing fading, it's really new home sales and housing starts and, and the construction jobs, the part of the GDP gets taken out and typically existing home sales usually falls with that. So that's the area that I'm focused on because the leading economic index, the data component in that is actually housing permits. Housing permits are a good forward looking indicator. Uh, uh, on paper, it looks great still, but it's kind of backwards looking. We have to look forward to a 5% plus mortgage rate world. And a lot of the housing data that we've gotten so far this year, it's still somewhat backward looking. So that's why we, we need to be more mindful of the new home sales sector and the housing construction sector. Well, and you wrote uh, for us last week, uh, March new home sales, the last positive revision for 2022. So, you know, this report is so weird because of the revisions. Maybe explain that to us. And, and also, yes, it's, you know, the headlines of the housing starts and new home sales, they could be very uh, wild month to month. Uh, uh, so you always want to take revisions. And if you have a positive revisions trends, that's a good report. So on paper, you know, uh, new home sales really fell only month to month because the revisions were really positive the last previous month. So you could see what happened. Mortgage demand picked up toward the end of 2021 and went into the uh, first uh, first two months of 2022. Revisions were positive. So housing was fine. That's why housing permits uh, still looked very good. But that's, again, backward looking. So if, the, if you're working with a higher uh, interest rate world, what happens in the next few reports 
is that you get these headline numbers, they, they, they might come lower, and then the revisions come a little bit lower as well. That's why the trend data is very critical with uh, new home sales and housing starts because they confirm what's going on. And a lot of times, if you have a really hot number, it gets revised lower. If you get a really bad number, it gets revised higher. But the trend is what matters. So this could be the last, I guess, positive trends. Because if you look at that report on itself, it was fine. There's nothing really uh, too wrong with it. But again, backward looking, it doesn't do you any good. Forward looking is how you have to look at it. And we have a huge variable change in housing with going from you know a 3% mortgage world to a 5% plus mortgage world. I thought it was interesting. Um, last week, we also reported on DR Horton. Um, they had their second quarter earnings, and they killed it. It was, uh, as I said, an outstanding quarter for them. So um, you always come back to like, you know, the home builders now know what they're doing. They know how to operate in this market. It may not be um, what the rest of the market wants, you know, people in housing and real estate to to do for them to do, but the home builders have figured it out, right? They're not overbuilding right now. Yes, and 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 part of this again is going back to the previous expansion. We had the weakest new home sale uh, recovery ever. Uh, we had missed home sales reports in 2013, 14, and 15, and then we had a supply shock in 2018. So the builders are just going to manage their production uh, well to make as much money as possible and not get either not get in a situation where they need to kind of unload but again they can get drama really quick i think 2018 was a good example when rates got to five percent one of the ceos says it was the worst quarter since the great financial crisis even though sales were just basically running flat to slightly negative so there was nothing like the great financial crisis but so i mean this is part of wall street you know they have to manage their profit margins uh so they they kind of know what's going on and again look at the builders confidence the hmi data uh, forward looking so if they th- if they see things slow down but again the the main thing the difference between the builders now and then let's say uh in the last uh, uh 15 or 20 years their biggest competitor is the existing home sales market and the existing home sales market is working at all-time lows of inventory so and, and I always have to talk about this. Every week this year, inventory is down year over year. Now, I do believe because of higher rates, we're going to get some positive prints. But they they just simply have a very nice product designed for more wealthier Americans. And there's not too many options on the existing side yet. So it's a little bit different because in 2018, we had much higher inventory levels for the existing home sales market. So there was competition for them. And that's why the new home sales sector got hit harder than the existing home sales market did uh, in 2018, where they were talking about, oh, this is a, we, we have major issues. Our stocks are down 30%. Existing home sales were basically flat that year. Not much was going on. So there's a big difference between these two sectors. And you always have to mind that when we talk about the new home sales sector versus the existing home sales market. Well, to that point, I mean, D.R. Horton in their earnings call even said that um, it's, you know, the, the number of sales went down. It's just the the value of the homes that were sold was so high, right? Skyrocketing. So that that low inventory just helps them. They pushed it to the extreme, right? If you look at median sales prices from 2020 and on, you could see it. The builders had pricing power. Part of my higher rates, uh, we need higher rates theme that I started early in 2022 is that we need higher rates to put the builders and home sellers on their ass because they have too much pricing power. And They'll, they'll use it, right? We still see people bidding for homes and, you know, hey, I got 12 offers. They'll take it because their job is to make as much money as possible for their sellers or for their shareholders, right? So uh, uh, higher rates tend to 
change the uh, landscape a little bit and, and you, you won't see so, so much aggressive pricing or so much aggressive uh, bidding. And that to me is very healthy because the housing market has to stay here every year until the world ends, right? People need shelter. Uh, so you want a more sustainable housing market. And what we saw in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and I'm just sticking to my model, I said if home price growth gets above this level uh, in a five-year period, it's not a good thing. It happened at the end of 2021, and then 2022 got worse. You know, we still see double-digit home price growth. So uh, higher rates create balance. Balance is a good thing. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll see some of that data come around uh, over the next few months. So to that point, uh, on Friday, we had a we reported a story about the fact that in 121 markets, the showing uh, the house showings were in double digits. So and that's that's from March. So still tons of demand. The the higher interest rates are not scaring off everybody. Uh, to your point, I mean, you you still really have some would be homeowners who have great cash flow position and they want to buy a home. Yeah, and here's the thing: when we look at forward looking indicators, I look at purchase application data uh, um, on a year over year basis. That looks out thirty to ninety days. Twenty twenty two will be the first authentic down year uh, in purchase application data, going back all the way to twenty fourteen. You know, this this index has been negative year over year since June of twenty twenty one. But the COVID nineteen comps has ruined this data line. You really have to make some major COVID nineteen adjustments. So what I'm seeing right now is the four week moving average is still. 11.5% down. Uh, typically, that's that's not too much of a big deal. When you have noticeable demand decrease, you get four-week moving averages down 20 or 30%. And same thing with a positive. When you have really good uh, data line, this data line goes up 20 or 30% on a year-over-year basis. But the last two weeks, we've been down 14 and 17% year-over-year. So we're starting to get into that area where it actually would matter on a meaningful matter. And that is going to be home sales are going to be down this year uh, compared to uh, last year. Uh, but again, if it, if it was a really big demand hit, uh, this uh, purchase application index would be down 20 or 30% every single week for the entire year. Uh, we saw that in 2013 and 14. We didn't see any of that in 2018 when mortgage rates got to 5%. That's why sales were flat, but this is a little bit different. We're working from higher levels of sales with much higher uh, home prices, but inventory is much lower. So you got to put all those variables together and look at the forward-looking indicators. Forward in indicators are looking for housing to slow down and existing home sales to be down. Not so much of a uh, inventory is too low. It's just that uh, we're seeing some of the hit on the mortgage demand side. And to me, again, uh, that that that's when you're team higher rates, you know that's going to happen, right? So we have to create some kind of balance and get inventory somewhat up because we can't, like the worst nightmare for me always in this period wasn't a housing crash or millions of home sales going down, was home price growth is double digits every single year for five years. So, so far, 21, 2020, 2021, and 2022, look like to be in that trend. The only thing that could create balance is higher mortgage rates. And we have to learn to talk about housing economics without referring back to 2008 all the time, because that's not the, that's not where we're at right now. Uh, so we, weren't, we were never at that level from 2012 to 2019, nor was 2020 or 2021 going to be the big housing crash that so many people had talked about. And again, this year, Look what we're still dealing with, negative year-over-year inventory trends. So there's a more sophisticated way of talking about housing economics that people should be able to understand without referring back to 2008, which was never correct. It was 2005. And and going back to that uh, kind of 
doom and gloom promotional grifting. I, I just think the 2008 is, it's like a reflex now. I mean, people are like, uh, you know, that's just what, especially if you're not a person who pays a lot of attention to housing, maybe that's the last time you really paid attention to housing. That's your only reference point, And so you keep bringing it up. Doom and gloom sells, uh, and so many people own homes. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it is a, it is a very clever marketing tactic. Like I always said, it was 2005 that housing peaked and credit got worse 2005, six, seven, eight. Then in 2008, the job loss recession happened. So if you're actually talking about 2008, you're actually talking about maybe housing getting much weaker years down the line. And you wouldn't even know that your reflection point is talking about 2008 when housing was starting to get weaker. Uh, 2005 and six and seven. In fact, all my recession red flag models were all up in 2006. So I think I just think 2008 people think great financial crisis, they think housing crash. But if you're a data analyst, you know this stuff. There's all these other data lines that were happening years before. That's why we have you on. We we need that sort of uh, analysis. So we appreciate that. So the other story that you wrote for us last week was on the state of U.S. homeownership. So the homeownership rate is something that we, we the industry, but also government, just people talk about um, on a regular basis, like there used to be sort of goals that people had, like they wanted to see certain parts go up, they wanted to get to a historical number. So what are we seeing in the homeownership rate right now? So one, the homeownership rate for me was a big talking point of mine is in the previous expansion. A lot, a lot of people just think I was like the super bearish uh, housing person because I said homeownership rates uh, should get down to 62.2 to 62.7 in the last decade. Uh, we were still uh, up in 65, 66 level. And that was based on demographics were more for renting uh, because uh, people, it was taking forever for people to foreclose. They don't get off the homeownership census data until they're done legally. So we had to work our way down there. We we never got down to 62.2 to 62.7. We got down to 62.9. So we didn't get as low as I thought. But we got down close to that level and we've been rising ever since. Now, you know, in 2019, I talked about, you know, between 2022 to 2026, we should get to 66.21%. And I list the data lines to say credit profiles are excellent. Right, uh, demographics are better. Millennials are going to more. Millennials are going to buy homes. The baby boomers are staying in, in their homes longer. These are homeowners, so the percentage of the homeownership rate should rise. Uh, it it had a parabolic spike, which it never does. So we we x out this the census data during COVID. But we're at, we're at you know in the mid sixty five percent level. We're working our way up. But I think the more critical aspect of of that forecast was that homeowners are in such better shape. You know, and this was in twenty nineteen. And I talked about this is the last year of this cycle. I wasn't talking about the economic cycle. I was talking about this, my 2008 to 2019 period. Who knew that we'd have this big test with forbearance coming in with a global pandemic? But there it is. So if I write about it, hey, guess what? I'm going to have to create the phrase forbearance crash bros, because what happened is that a lot of people don't have credit risk profile backgrounds. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what they're talking about. And it completely backfired on them. Uh, forbearance has collapsed. Uh, delinquencies are at record lows now. The whole thing about people, millions of Americans foreclosing on the house was just a bad premise to start with. And that's what happened. You know, homeowners were legit. They stayed in their homes. They got their jobs back by October of 2020. Most people that got made over $60,000 already got their jobs back. The forbearance crash bros were dead right when I made that term. They just didn't know it yet. 
So in 2021, it was the crucible event about showing these people just don't have the education or the training to talk about housing economics or credit risk. And we could see that now. So home ownership rates are in a much stable uh, footing now than what we saw. And, and typically people who make a lot of money, uh, uh, you know, stay in their jobs. They don't foreclose on their house. We're back to traditional housing credit risk, which means late cycle lending you know, the last year of people who bought homes going into a recession, unless prices are declining, they are the risk. Uh, because if they lost their jobs, then if they have a very low down payment, that is a foreclosure or short sale risk. Not the majority stock of homeowners, right? Again, 40% of homes don't even have a mortgage. Everyone else looks great, especially those that bought in 2010 uh, to going into 2020. It's never going to look as sexy as this right now on paper. So we should all be very proud of the credit profiles because uh, we made American mortgage debt great again. We made it very boring. Boring is good. We should embrace it and not try to ease lending standards to facilitate more uh, housing demand. Just let it be. It's a good thing. And this is really one of the biggest differences between now and 2005. So that's why people should not be comparing them because there's just no comparison. Anybody who says 2008, I consider rookie ball. So either they're professional grifters or they just don't know what they're talking about. I mean, it's just terrible rookie ball. Again, credit stressed started in 2005, six, seven, people were filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies, inventory was rising, home prices were falling. Then the job loss recession happened toward the end of 2008. So you're already like four years behind if you're using that. And again, if you're a professional grifter, that's what you do. Right, because that's the marketing gimmick. If you if you think you're a housing person and you're still saying 2018, you know what you're talking about, because the data was specifically clear on this, and this is one of the reasons why the recession red flags all went off in 2006. Right, we believe in economic models, not professional grifting, because models historically work because the data can't lie to you. Uh, you'll see it. You'll see the stress and the credit come out. And that's why credit is very crucial in all economic cycles. Well, you know what? We have some exciting things coming up at HousingWire with you. I know people uh, love to hear you speak. We have, um, we're have we doing an economic forecast event now quarterly because things are changing so much. And so we have uh, you on that coming up with Mike Simonson, uh, with Odetta Cushy. We have, uh, that's going to be a great discussion. We also have Cocktails with Logan. Tell us about that. Yes, on the 16th of May, uh, um, we'll be having a Cocktails with Logan event. Uh, I'll be doing a live Q&A, uh, answering everyone's questions. And Sarah and myself will be talking about the state of the housing market. And again, we're just we're, we're, we're in such a different position right now than we were in the previous expansion. Previous expansion was very slow and steady. Not too much was going. Now, boy, every week something can change. And our job is to facilitate quality information and answer everyone's question to talk about the state of the housing market. Because clearly by now, it's 2022. If you've listened to the professional grifting of the housing crash people for 11 years now, maybe housing isn't their thing. Maybe they should move on to another sector. That's just that's my thought. But here we are bounded by economic data and forecasting stuff to the best of our uh, possibilities with all the live information and the live information changes weekly now. So this is why it's more critical to uh, uh, focus on data more than ever because the speed or the velocity of data can turn so quickly. So specifics on that event, um, it we timed it to be in New York City during the secondary conference, MBA Secondary. It's Monday, May 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Sanctuary Hotel in New York. 
and it's free. People just need to register. So really looking forward to that event. I know people want to see you in person and ask you questions in person, which is one of the funnest things about that event is that um, you're going to be talking and then you're going to be taking audience Q&A. So yes. That I, I always love. I always love the Q and A's. That's always been my favorite thing. So, uh, great to go <laughs> and you that. never know what what kind of crazy wild questions you're going to get, or really your crazy wild answer you might you might give them. So it's, yeah. it's definitely worth worth the trip. Logan, as always, thank you so much for um, being on, and we will check back with you soon. Thank you, Sarah. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.